Welcome to the Chosen Brew a Beer Podcast. This is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. And I'm your host, Ian McNally. If you are listening to this in real time, then save the date. Thursday, November the 7th, 2019 is going to be the first ever Chosen Brew Beer Podcast live episode. This is to celebrate the third birthday of the Chosen Brew and tickets are going to be really strictly limited. There is a cap on the amount of people that we'll be able to have because we're going to have a great guest talking through the six beers that changed everything, and you're going to get to try the beers in real time as they're being talked about. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So that's to celebrate the Chosen Brew's third birthday, which is actually in December, but I'm nice and organised and going to record in November so November the 7th, if you would like to be part of that because there's such a limit on tickets for this one, please log on to thechosenbrewau.com. If you're on the homepage for a few seconds, a box will pop up and prompt you to become one of the chosen few. So I <laughs> don't know if that's controversial or not. Uh, haven't worked it out. I've got nobody to uh, bounce ideas off. So put your email address in and once the event and tickets are live... I'll be sending that link to you first if you are a part of that list. So, but enough about that. In this episode, I interview Tim and Matt from St. Andrew's Beach Brewery down in Fingal on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. An amazing venue with a staggering history. And they're facing problems that a lot of new breweries don't face, which is fitting people into an already very, very big venue. They also have lots of room to grow. And they also have an orchard and livestock. Also, Tim, who does all the marketing for St. Andrew's Beach Brewery, is 25. So he's only been drinking craft beer for a couple of years. So his epiphany beers are fascinating. So let's get into it. Well, welcome Tim and Matt to the Chosen Brew podcast. How are you both? Yeah, good, thank you. Th- that's, that's Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, thank you. And uh, thanks for coming down uh, to the brewery today. Oh, pleasure. We're at St. Andrew's Beach Brewery. It's a remarkable venue. Um, but before we do, Matt, if you can explain how did you end up here? No, I applied for the head uh, brewer position here in 2017, the end of 2017. I think Tim told me I was the last applicant to put in my application yeah, so um, slack or <laughs> no, no. I think and then I got a call on a, a Thursday and I came down on that Saturday after and um, that was in October and it was just a concrete slab and a few uh, steel frames up and then we were actually brewing in November so within a month's time we the whole building was put up tanks were stood up brew house was put in and we we're brewing before christmas of 2017 and and just to put a bit of context behind that matt was formerly at hope brew house in the hunter valley um he's got a young family so it was a pretty big move down for matt so yeah and a really quick turnaround as well yeah it was um like for your family as well <laughs> we'd, we'd i'd worked in dramana at crittenden estate in the winery in 2015 so we knew the area reasonably well. We knew lo- we loved the area. It's coastal. It's kind of rural. It's only an hour from Melbourne. 
and really friendly people down here. So it's been a, a great change. And you're head brewer here, uh, but Tim, can you explain your role? Yeah, so I'm my title is business development manager, um, but basically I just I manage all of our marketing and all of our events. So whatever you see of St Andrews Beach on all of our digital sites, social media, I manage all of that. And then if people see us at Gabs and all of those external events, I'm the one who books that and then sets up our uh, beer horse float there and then um, pours beers and says hello to everyone. So it doesn't sound stressful at all? Not at all, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been good. Like, obviously, uh, since day one, we've just, it's been full, full throttle, basically. Um, but we've had, it, the brand itself has resonated pretty well with everyone, so. And can you explain a bit of the background? Because it's a really interesting backstory, St. Andrew's Beach Brewery. Can you explain, like, how did we get here? Because it's a really unique venue. Uh, it is, and how long do we have? Because <laughs> it's, it's a podcast you've it, got forever. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite. It is quite the tale. So, um, for those who haven't been down, we're um, we're located in Fingal on the Mornington Peninsula, which is uh, basically the most southern point of Victoria. And what makes our brewery a bit unique to others is we're actually on ninety-two acres, and the property was formerly a horse training stable. So, not quite a significant horse training stable yes yeah in history and in size so um the Friedman brothers so lee and anthony michael and richard all trained down here for just over a decade so 2002 to about 2014 and in that time they had horses like maccabi diva um mummify and alingi all very successful just to name a few um and then in 2014 they all went their separate ways um to do other things within the industry Basically, the site they're on now uh, laid dormant for a couple of years. So, like from 2014 to about the end of 2006, oh, sorry, the end of 2015, start of 2016, when my dad, Andrew, purchased and Michael Fredman uh, took over the property with the vision of turning the old stables into the brewery. Is there any horses still knocking around? <laughs> I think oh, there's have we one. Got any, have we got any Drayman? Uh, oh, there's still one out there. Yeah, we've got a Shetland pony out the back, out on the farm. So in, in, as well as the uh, the brewery, the old racetrack, which is on the property, uh, we converted into an orchard. So we planted, I think, 8,000 trees, um, which we're hoping to be producing cider in about 18 months. Yeah, next season. We did a trial batch of cider last year just to see how the – how the fruit looked and it was really good cider cider varieties so really interesting yeah and then on top of the orchard we've also got livestock out on the farm so got chickens pigs sheep and like all the spent grain and grain waste from the brewery and the kitchen goes out to feed those which is really cool and i believe you've kind of got a target for kind of 50 percent uh sustainability of things that you grow here being used yeah you know within the first five years yeah that's correct so like 8,000 trees is a pretty big orchard. I think someone came down to one of the bigger commercial orchards in, in the state um, once it's up and running. For cider. Yeah, for cider. Production, yeah. And because it, it takes a while, doesn't it, for the trees to mature and actually, you know, give fruit, you know, suitable for cider. Um, I think these trees are in their third year. So they're bearing fruit last year. If anything, they were trying to strip a little bit of fruit off them just to give the trees a chance to grow. But um, they, they were bearing like you wouldn't believe. They had, some of the trees had hundreds of apples on them and they were bending down to the ground. So 
come next year we'll um yeah it's been a bit of a slow burn but we're pretty excited about it and the climate really lends itself to that but also to growing hops as well yeah there's a, a small hop um hop little plot over there with some um nice cluster hops which we use in our brews it's really interesting to use so. yeah and this year we matt um and louis our production brewer put together a steam a steam ale which was a hop harvest just using that single hop so um we got some actually really good feedback on that beer so could be uh, a, a, an annual thing which would be yeah. cool now it strikes me that we're uh, you're a, a craft brewery but we're in kind of wine heartland um, in terms of kind of what yes wineries around but also the clientele the peninsula folk the people the well-heeled they drink wine don't they i've been unfortunate enough to go to some parties of people who are from the, the peninsula and the wine is always tremendous and the and the champagne at the parties and the beer is always an afterthought <laughs> uh, so how do you kind of uh, you know, sell beer to people who really they, they put a high price on wine and an interest in wine because wine I feel has that still has that prestige over beer. Um, how do you how do you manage to do that? I think uh, it's oh, sorry. It, I think it's great for the for the area for the peninsula. It makes it a food and wine destination. Um, I think it's a partnership. So I think the wineries have done a you know the wineries and the wines down here are great. Um, but I think having the diversity with a brewery just down the road is great as well. So you can have a beer and a wine and something to eat. And just to that as well, we're quite fortunate to have quite a large and unique venue, which attracts probably the non-beer drinker or the non-craft beer drinker here. Um, just because, like, like I said, we've converted the stables, so you can come down, literally sit in one of the old stables, have a nice feed, drink some nice beer... And if you don't do that, then you can sit in the big beer garden and do the same thing. So, oh, And we're pouring local wine as well. So yeah. the, there's that on offer as well. I think that's one of the kind of, I don't know, it probably is a, a benefit actually to the wider kind of craft beer community and also a bit of a challenge because people are coming for the venue. Like the venue is such a wonderful place to sit and socialise. If you're in a, a back street in Melbourne where you have to walk past the bins and things to find your way into a little doorway and then the brewery well the beer's got to be really good to get you there yeah. whereas here the people will come to this venue you know regardless of what's on show how do you keep pushing yourself uh, i suppose matt you know to to make fantastic beers um perhaps knowing that you know a proportion of the people drinking them may or may not really appreciate them but what keeps you going in terms of that respect? Um, I think there's always... It doesn't matter about the... I think the drink is really important. If they're enjoying their beer, even if it's not from a real craft point of view where they're analysing it, if they're enjoying their beer, they, they love their beer. That's, that sums up to... That sums up, so... Um, but when we started, we had six taps and we had four beers on and a cider, so we only had one tap to put a specialty on so we were only doing a specialty once every six yeah six to eight weeks three months so um and then we put some more taps on and we could put some more different beers on and um just to make the 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 choice the diversity of beers 
And it's been quite surprising some of the specialty beers that we put on, how they've gone. Like last winter, uh, we put out a Baltic Porter at the same time as a West Coast IPA. And the Porter outsold the IPA, which was quite a surprise. And then we, we weren't expecting that. Yeah. And then we, last spring in October, we brought out a Hefeweizen, um, which was just a beautiful beer. Again, we weren't 100% sure how it was going to go just because we didn't know if people down here knew the style. But we sold out of that in like a month. Yeah. So it's, it's actually really exciting because I think uh, when you're kind of in, in the craft beer bubble, particularly in a city, Melbourne. Um, but that is our clientele. Yeah. For the most part as well. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, obviously, no, you become un- a destination as well. Underestimate what, you know, people want. But yeah, a lot of people from Melbourne love their craft beer and, yeah, and they come down here. So. 65% of our visitation is from Melbourne. Yeah. So, so I suppose um, that's what makes it exciting because you've got, you're not only a craft beer destination, um, but you also have that a large proportion, probably a larger proportion than inner city Melbourne craft beer bars of people who don't really know a huge amount of be- about beer. That's the exciting part for me, I think, because mm. you can introduce them to styles, you can introduce them to quality beer, yeah, which sure. really, uh, you know, this podcast is all about epiphanies. Yeah. I mean, the epiphanies will be happening here probably on a daily basis, you know, with people going, I didn't know beer could taste like that. And that, for me, is really exciting. Yeah, and just to that, like, I'm only, I'm 25, so I'm still relatively new to the whole beer world. And when we opened up the brewery, when my mates were coming down who were, BB drinkers, whatever Melbourne bitter drinkers, um, when they're trying the beers for the first time, they were like, "Holy hell!" And now every time they come in, the first beer they go to in winter is our porter. In summer, it's the gold yeah. now, which are styles they probably weren't drinking before the brewery opened. So, I think this is uh, probably an, an important time to talk about your initial core beers, and then probably the strategy in terms of how you. Because it seems like you've introduced your core range and then the speciality beers are starting to ratchet things up in terms of a uh, challenge level. Yeah, sure. How did you decide on... Did you decide on the core range, Matt? uh, The core range was was developed by um, Dermot O'Donnell, a master brewer who helped helped me and helped the brewery set up. The specialty beers, Tim and I and, and Louis, we've all chose... Yeah. What, are, what were the beers and the core range? So when we started, we started with four beers. Um, the, got, like, the strategy behind the first four was we wanted to just produce really nice approachable beers. Um, the, like the clientele down here, although that it's changing, they still like their classics and their more traditional styles. So we started with a, a modern style pale ale, an Australian lager, a golden ale and a pilsner. And then about probably six weeks in, we found that we were sort of losing out on some clientele because they obviously have to drive here. Um, they might have their one pot and then go. So then Matt and I decided we'd bring out a session ale, which it's gone bananas. Yeah, it's been a good beer. Especially out in trade. Like it's, in terms of um, packaged beer, it's our third biggest seller behind, oh. behind the pail and the lager. So. And is that, is that sit, sit a low percentage, presumably? Yeah, so 3.5%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a full-bodied session ale, um, sort of modelled on our pale. So um, that's gone really well. And then um, we've always wanted to add an IPA. We sort of, last year we brought out 
we did, I think, two batches just because we really wanted to refine it. Um, and then in March this year, we brought out the Farrier, which is our West Coast IPA. It's exciting. And I uh, had the Bruce IPA uh, Gabs as well. And we're drinking, can you ex- uh, this is the Porter. It That's is a robust Porter. Delicious. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about this beer? Yeah, sure. Um, well, a point on that beer, we were recently at a festival, the uh, Whiskey, Wine and Fire Festival in Melbourne, and a lot of people... If they would say, I don't often get to serve beer, so it was my my chance to do it. And um, people would say, oh, I don't drink dark beer. And you'd say, well, do you like chocolate? Do you like coffee? And they'd say, yeah. And you'd say, we'll try this. And then they would, quite often they would, they would love it. So Yeah, and that's what we try to do here. Like our bar staff are always upselling our specialty beers especially. Um, so last winter when we brought out, we did a Baltic Porter last year, which was was that seven percent i think it was 8.2 oh it was even bigger but yeah even staff were up selling that and then once people had one they were always going to go back to it so um and the porter at the moment's my go-to so yeah, yeah it's really chocolatey hint of coffee it's really rich and it's a delicious beer and yeah, yeah we, we dialed it back this batch as well so we brought it back to 5.5 so it was a bit more sessionable it's really tasty well done um so we're here to talk through the six beers that changed everything. Um, go um, on, Tim. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you've had this one on your podcast before, but it's Cricketers Arms Pale Ale. Um, and the reason why I chose that is because it was sort of the first well, craft beer that I really gravitated to after I tasted it for the first time. Before that, I was mainly just a VB and Melbourne bitter drinker at uni. And then once I had that, whenever I could scrounge t- together some more money, I would... Uh, happily slapped down 60 bucks a case for that so and the second reason why i chose that is because um like matt said we had Dermot o'donnell our master brewer in um who helped set up the brewery and designed our core range and he actually designed the cricketers arms range so Dermot's been responsible for quite a few yeah. core australian beers yeah he knows his stuff. he's, he's been a wealth in beer of knowledge for a long time as well i think he, did yeah. he make the beer for the last supper or he's he's been he's, he's, a, been he's a wealth a of knowledge in, yeah yeah and then when so when dad told me that um dermot was on board i knew things were going to be pretty legit so whenever i was buying beers i was always when we we're setting it up it was always dermot's beers so Wow, well, that's a great kind of connection to have. Yeah. And uh, obviously, cricketers, I think, what's it's now Asahi, I think, who yeah. own it. Um, but as a result, it's a nicer price point. So exactly. <laughs> it's probably less than $60 now. So. Yeah, I think it's about 50 bucks a slab yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is nice and approachable. It's more like it. So, Matt, choice one. Uh, my choice of, of all the beers I chose, I've kind of linked them to a place in time. And um, so I'll just start at the beginning, I suppose. The first beer I chose is Cooper's Pale Ale. I think I chose it because it was my kind of gateway beer into craft. Gateway, oh, I suppose it just showing a beer that can be something different other than the 50 lagers that were on offer. And growing up, that you know, there wasn't a lot of craft beer around when I started drinking, so... And did you grow up in South Australia? No, no, I, I drove to Adelaide with a mate and... Um, I had a Cooper's Pale Ale in Adelaide when the sun was out, a beautiful Sunday Arvo in Adelaide, and um, it was just a memorable beer. Just, and, I, and I still love it as a beer. It's a, from a, a brewer's point of view, I think it's a great beer that it's just such a 
small list of ingredients that goes into making such a great beer. So it's just base malt, handful of Pride of Ringwood hops and um, a really estuary producing yeast. Uh, it's a unique beer. It's very Australian and it's great that uh, the Coopers family kept making ales when everyone else was just making lagers. Making lagers so. yeah, yeah, it's quite a remarkable story. And, and in fact, I think uh, the last episode I recorded with Nick Sandry from Molly Rose, um, he chose, spoilers, uh, he chose Cooper's Pale as well. And I don't think it had been on the podcast before. I think everyone had kind of gone for Cooper's Sparkling. And I don't know whether that's... You know, if you go to a restaurant, you don't get the house. You yeah. don't get the most expensive. You get the middle one. Yeah. It's a bit like Cooper's Sparkling almost seems to have a bit more gravitas. But I think the pale, as you say, it's just so approachable, so light. And um, I think, as Nick said, you know, he was drinking it without even really realizing what an amazing beer it was. It's pro- probably when you look back in retrospect of yeah. what, w- what else was available, like how much of a standout that beer was and arguably still is at that price point yeah is quite remarkable and i suppose the, the theater as well of you know people rolling a bottle yeah. and having that strange cloudiness and that yeasty thing that you're not quite sure whether you should drink or not um is yeah it's really fun and they're still independent as well which is cool so yeah they could have quite easily along the way sold out to one of the bigger ones but i think they should be respected that they're still independent so yeah, largest family-owned brewery in Australia, I think, yeah. as it stands. So, um, yeah, so choice two, Tim. Um, I picked Bolter XBA, mainly just because it's my go-to four-pack. Whenever I'm buying a four-pack, I just go straight to that. And from because I handle our marketing here, just from a marketing and branding point of view, they're just on point with their, like their cans or their, the language around it, their brand direction. It's just, to me, is like, the tip of the iceberg so and you're getting cans soon Do we want to talk about that now <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so so at the moment we're going through a bit of a growth growth stage with our brewery um so we've just got we've just added um 20,000 litres in fermentation fermentation capacity um and a couple of extra bright tanks to help with um speed up production so at the moment we package all of our beers just in bottles um, and due to the success of our venue and um, the support of the local um, market and retailers, um, we basically outgrew our bottle, current bottling line in the first couple of months. Um, so the last six months we've just been researching a lot and we made the decision to install um, a brand new, very expensive canning line. So. <laughs> Um, fun times ahead. Very fun times ahead. <laughs> Is, was this because you weren't working hard enough? Man? You think I just oh, yeah. need some more to do? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's cool. Like, um, I, we're hoping that it'll be commissioned by the end of August. Um, and it's quite a leap in what we'll be able to produce. So at the moment, we only service the Mornington Peninsula with our distribution. But once this canning line goes in, we'll be able to service Melbourne and um, the Geelong, Ballerine and areas like that, which would be nice. That's pretty exciting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because it, it's kind of, you've got such an amazing venue, great story, and cans are just where it's at. It's almost like you can't survive now being a, a craft brewer without having cans. Yeah. So 
design? Are we going to uh, copy Bolter? Or no. <laughs> uh, not quite. No, we've we've just basically morphed our bottle um, design in, into a can. So um, you'll be seeing some photos of those hopefully in September once yeah. they start rolling out. They look really smart and they look amazing. We work with a really good design agency, so. Um, yeah, they've done a really good job. And capacity in, in terms of what's on the... How many bottles you can get through on a bottling, bottling line compared with cans? Uh, so our current bottling line um, punches out about 400 bottles an hour. Um, and the canning line we're doing has the ability to do 6,000 cans an hour. What does I that think mean we for worked, you, Matt? <laughs> well, I think we worked out that every single bottle that we've bottled inside over a... 18 month, 18 month period we could probably do in 80 hours <laughs> on the canning line so so Matt's going to be busy so. <laughs> yeah so what, what like in a practical term what does that mean it means you? we can spread our beer out further into Melbourne which is everyone that comes in here it keeps asking where can we get our beer in Melbourne and it's been hard for us not to just um to get it out there because we just haven't had the capacity yeah, and we um, haven't wanted, like, the reason why, another reason why we haven't gone into Melbourne yet is, or into other markets, really, because we don't really want to turn our back on the peninsula as well. So, we, whatever, like, we don't have beer, we, whatever we produce, typically, once it's packaged, it's not on site for any longer than two or three weeks, thanks to the support of the local community. So, we're quite fortunate we can go through quite a lot of beer in a short amount of time. Yeah, I think that's really commendable because I think the temptation would be to kind of go straight to the the big city and the market. But I think you you're right, particularly when you've got a venue so reliant on on locals as as well as visitors, but they're going to keep, you know, uh, see how busy it is today and you you said it was quiet when we yeah. walked in. I was like, "Wow, well, if this is quiet, then um, you know, we're doing pretty well." In terms of capacity, you've got some new stainless delivered recently, Matt. Yep, yep. We've got some more tanks and we're um, cramming them in. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the brewery's a bit of a mess at the moment. Yeah. So there's... um, Do you you need some more space? (laughs) No, there's plenty of space. Once we... It's just been... It's been logistically hard knowing when to take our bottling line out. So we're trying to stand up tanks around a bottling line, which will um, be removed once we start canning. But and also we've got to stand up tanks inside the brewery. We can't stand them up and um, walk them in, so to speak. We need to actually bring them into the brewery, lying down, and stand them up under a um, restrictive ceiling. A restrictive heighted ceiling. <laughs> so it's it's quite a procedure. And the more and more tanks we put in, the harder it gets to do that. So, um, but yeah, as you said, we're quite lucky in that we've got quite a lot of room to grow into as well. So. Yeah, like once we start doing cider, we're obviously gonna have to expand again. So, which we got the space for, which is handy. Matt, choice two. Uh, number two, I've chosen um, Anchor Steam. Um, it just takes me back to uh, being in San Francisco. It's a beer that's uh, linked heavily with that place. Um, I recently uh, listened to a podcast, a Fritz uh, Maytag podcast. It was one of the. Uh, the brewers that took over the Anchor Brewery and made Anchor Steam what it is today, it, and it's it, it's a unique beer in the fact that it's been a it's it's kind of led to a lot of styles coming away from it. So I think the craze in IPAs and you know like a, a nice hopped ale. It's a, a real kind of flagship beer, but 
a beer as well. Occasionally a beer comes along which really kind of epitomizes a, a style. And I think that's one of them. Bolter XPA is one of them as well. Oh, there's so many XPAs kind of, now. Yeah, we're, but in a crowded market where people are doing very similar things, it's, I think it's so hard to have that definitive beer, which is, says this beer is the, the benchmark. Yeah. And I think Anchor is certainly that. And I just love the shape of the bottle as well. Yeah, it's a cool beer. <laughs> yeah. it, it just looks really nice and inviting, and it looks really San, San Franciscan. <laughs> feels like about to say something about religion there. Um, <laughs> the, and like the no, Northern Brewer hops that they use are really minty, and um, I always found it had quite a metallic kind of edge to the bitterness, which was um, it was just really clean and um, a unique beer, and yeah, one that I'll remember drinking. That's for sure. And in, I suppose there's some influence there in your you, you know your core range because um, you've brewed you know, really solid beers, which are really accessible for people to drink. Is that an influence for you? What, what have you tried to achieve when you brew those? I think um, well, we're trying to achieve balance and flavour and drinkability. And if a beer's balanced and got flavour and drinkability, well, I can't see what's wrong with that. So, And, um, for, and for us, because we, we appeal to such a broad amount of people who've come to visit... We have to, we we can't really brew those crazy double IPAs or super bitter beers, just because we they won't appeal to everyone. So all the all the beers we brew, we try to make them accessible to everyone. So yeah, there is. I'm I'm just thinking of a a couple of places in Melbourne where I've gone in and had to walk out again because the beers are there's nothing under seven point two percent or something. Yeah. And it's like I, I love to have those beers sometimes, but. If it's a hot afternoon or even in a winter's day like this, you do just want to sit and relax and drink a beer that maybe isn't um, as intricate and challenging as... But you want it to be really well made. We want them to be fresh and approachable and drinkable. And I think that's the best thing about craft beer is that it's fresh. It's, um, we don't have a batch of beer that sits around longer than three or four weeks. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's, you, that, that's if, the beauty of our venue. Like, we, we have the ability to go through quite a lot of volume. So if you're drinking a beer in the venue, it will never be older than three or four weeks. Yeah. You should put that on the door. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a great selling point. Yeah, like, like, just, like, to put into perspective, and I don't want to brag or anything, but um, on the Australia Day weekend, I think we went, well, it was about 60 kegs we went through, just through the venue. And we're only open till 8 o'clock, so... <laughs> it's good from it's good from the brew, brewing point of view as well so the, the beers are evolving a little bit as we go along so if there's something we don't like in one batch you know it's not it's a short turnaround in terms of correcting it or improving it or trying something a bit different um so can you give an example of that of that where you've kind of tweaked something or um, the pale ale's a great example of it. We've um, been increasing the dry hop rate and um, just, just trying to find that balance with the malt because it is quite a malty pale ale. Um, it, needs a little, it needs a little bit more dry hop every now and again just to, uh, to balance it out. Yeah, because it is quite malty, caramelly and toffee-like compared to most other pales. So like Matt's told me in the past, he's basically doubled the dry hop sometimes just to get a little bit more bitterness so. and drop the the some of the specialty crystal malts back a little bit just to 
So, yeah, so the beers are evolving and changing and, and we're just trying to improve them, really. Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, toffee and caramel and yeah. less hops. I mean, as a man from Northern England, that's <laughs> music to my ears. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, brew, brew that beer. Um, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> Tim, beer three. Um, I chose uh, Fixation IPA. Um, and the reason I chose that is because um, I was, I'd, up until I had tried that beer, um, I'd never been a big fan of IPAs and I remember we were at the Beer Awards last year um, and I think that one championed beer or best IPA or something like that. So obviously I went out and bought it and that was the first IPA where I was like, yeah, I get it. I totally get, totally understand why people are losing their minds over this style of beer. Because so. that's a beer which has got a bit of caramelly, toffee note yeah. to it as well. Yeah, so it's West Coast IPA. But I just think it's like perfect malt backbone and just like the nice brisk bitterness. So that's that was a big winner for me. And I think it's over six percent. It might be six and a half percent or something, six point four. Um, but incredibly drinkable as yeah. well. Like really, actually disturbingly. Oh, no, it's a little <laughs> bit dangerous actually. <laughs> yeah, like our IPA. Well, we've got a West Coast IPA as well, um, and. When we, when we first brought it out, we'd obviously take a six back home every day. Oh, not every day. Once a whenever week. We'd, whenever <laughs> we'd, yeah, whenever we'd package it. But um, <laughs> it's deadly, that style of beer, because like, it's just so drinkable. So I'd wake up on a Friday with a bit of a sore head sometimes. <laughs> I love the way you gave yourself away there. Yeah. So. <laughs> Someone's listening to this, they're like, I wondered where all that beer was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, great choice. Yeah. Um, Matt, choice three. Uh, choice number three. Um, I've chosen Paps Blue Ribbon. Um, I, mean, I am laughing about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, an, it's another beer where uh, I did a vintage working in Napa in California and um, at the end of the day that was always the beer in the esky and um, it's kind of um, just stuck with me. It's a, I think it's a cool beer. Nice can. It's kind of maintained its craft image and um, very easy to drink. It's a, it's a clean American lager, which on a hot day when you feel like a beer. Just to add some context to that, Matt's actually got his master's in winemaking. So it's pretty handy to have someone like Matt in the brewery because he knows his stuff. So. This was being drunk in the vineyards, is that right? In the winery at the end of the day. And sometimes at lunchtime <laughs> and sometimes in the morning. But <laughs> it was vintage. But again, again it's, it is a, um, it's an iconic beer. I, personally, I don't care much for it. But if I had drank it, you know, I think it's a, a beer. In it's, it's a time Napa, and a place no. beer. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I had one now, I'd probably go, oh, I can't believe I used to enjoy that well you can i think you can get it in uncle dan's so yeah <laughs> and it's stupidly expensive yeah for what it is yeah so whereas in the states it's uh it's it, cheap as chips yeah it's good for when you you're working hard for yeah. low money that's <laughs> so right there. um perfect so in terms of ambition here at the brewery you've got space you've got massive orchard livestock you obviously you're employing quite a number of people now and as you grow that's going to get more and more where do you see the brewery developing in terms of what it will look like in 
a year or three years or five and beyond? Uh, yeah, so the goal always has been to be one of Victoria's um, destination breweries um, just due to the size of the place um, and everything we've got going on. Um, so just in terms of development for the next sort of foreseeable future, um, obviously the canning line going in is a pretty big, pretty big step for us and pretty big investment. But um, we've also got plans uh, to put in a private function space. We get requests almost daily for people to come, for groups of 100, 120 to come down for engagement parties, 50th birthdays and everything like that. And the demand's just too good to, ref- like, to pass up on. So hopefully by the, the time the canning line goes in, we can start works on that. Um, and we've also got plans on building a, more of a retail space so, like, basically a bottle shop and um, merchandise area, which we'll be converting our office space into as you first walk in. Uh, are you on board with all this, Matt? <laughs> I think it's great that the, the business is growing and that it's been successful. Um, part of that expansion of the um, uh, function space is kind of encroaching on the production area, so... It, uh, it means I've got to tidy my area up more on a Friday afternoon than yeah. I used to, but uh, I can live with that. That's all right. But yeah, like we're, we're really lucky. We've got six, six investors or co-founders that are pretty committed to making this thing work and they've basically reinvested everything we've made back in. So we're quite lucky to have an invest, like a shareholder team like that. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think that would be fairly foolish not to at this stage and with the success that you've had so far and as soon as you start getting um beer across victoria that's more eyes like a lot of people haven't heard of you yet yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it's quite exciting that you know you're not even on some people's radar that's gonna put a lot more pressure on you (laughs) once name gets out there and the brand gets uh recognition and so on um i suppose those investors yeah, keep digging in their pockets. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's really exciting. Like, like more recently, we just brought on the sales team. Um, so we've now got a state sales manager and a sales rep, which will sort of cover the southeast. So, like, we're not messing around with what we're doing. Like, we're pretty committed to making good beer and hopefully people are enjoying it. So, Excellent. Well, Tim, uh, choice four. Choice four. So I chose, and I don't think he makes it anymore, um, but Mr. Banks is red ale. Um, and again, it was th- that style of beer. So an amber ale, red ale that I, it was the first beer I had where I was like, yep, I get it. So Matt at the time, I think it was, when did you bring out that amber ale last year? September? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So September last year, Matt was like, yeah, we're bringing out an amber as a specialty. So took being a marketer, I went out, bought a whole bunch of different amber ales, um, and Mr. Banks's one, um, his red ale was the one that stood out for me. So like super multi caramely, um, beer, but then it had like just subtle sort of fruity notes to it. And I just loved it. So bring it back, Chris, if you are, if you're listening. <laughs> I, I love red ale. I think it's such an underappreciated style. I, I just think it's one of those beers that you can really get to know and build a relationship with it's like yeah. it changes it just gets a bit warmer towards the end of the glass it's so satisfying it's just velvety as well if it's yeah. a good one yeah. it just slides down it's just delicious yeah, like matt, matt brought out a red ipa last last or oh, the start of autumn 
and that went bananas as well. So I think it's a style which people are starting to pick up on. Yeah, please. And yeah, Chris, bring, bring it back. Just maybe even a, a short run. Yeah. Me and you will drink it too. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> so we'll share a keg. And choice four for you, Matt. Um, I chose Mornington Brown. Um, so another local brewery, another good beer. Um, I think anyone familiar with the Mornington beers knows their, their brown ale is there. It's a great beer. It's delicious. It's um, real chocolatey, real biscuity. It was one of the Mornington beers, I, a go-to Mornington beer I used to drink when I was working here in 2015. And since then, I think we've, we've become friends with all the Mornington brewers. Yeah. No, we're um, pretty fortunate. All of the breweries down here get along really well. So, yeah. Just give it a couple of years. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, Mornington Brown, I think brown ales are in that space uh, a bit like red ales underappreciated kind of hops always get the headlines people chase you know the ipas and 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 they don't chase brown ales and reds as they do hop hoppy beers so how do you kind of i don't know how you get you know the popularity and the excitement for a brown ale or for a, a red ale any ideas <laughs> i think you've just got to offer it to people yeah. well, I, and get I, them to because some people think a lot of people drink with their eyes, so they see a, d- a dark or a brown beer and they think no, no thanks. But if you can actually, I'm not going to force people to drink anything. But if you can, if you don't like dark beers, go get one and try it. You might change your mind because a lot of them are, most of them, are delicious and they're chocolatey and biscuity and um, all those things that people like. So and I think it's on t- it's on the brewers as well or the breweries to sort of educate their their customers. And people who come past, because like like Matt said, like why well, I used to drink with my eyes. And when Matt brought out his porter last year, in the back of my mind, I just thought it was going to taste like medicine. For whatever reason, I, it was, just looked scary, a big black beer. But once you try it and you understand it, they're just delicious. So, I think there's a mythology around dark beers as well, which is really unhelpful. Uh, like pe- you know, people say, oh, you get fuller quicker if you drink. You know, the heavier. It's like a meal. All of these kind of uh, myths around dark beers, which yeah. I, I, and also that it's it's exclusively for winter. I yeah, love stout in summer. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what that's, that's what Matt around. was saying a couple of weeks ago. He was he'd love to have a brown tap during summer. So, and I think as well, a lot of people have a stout which is burnt and astringent and maybe a bit challenging to drink if you don't like those things. Um, and that's what they think all dark beers are going to taste like. So I think there's probably a bit of a, an image problem as well in terms of, it, it, you know, generally speaking, it tended to be older people who drank uh, stout. So you might yeah. associate <laughs> it with, I know there was a definite, um, definitely in where I grew up, older women would drink stout. They'd drink yeah, small right. bottles of Guinness. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but they did. Um, maybe it was free over a certain ages. Um and I think that association as well has kind of played negatively, whereas the IPAs and, you know, different American styles particularly are kind of young and vibrant and, you know. Yeah, um, yeah drink dark. Mornington Brown, a great, great one. And Tim, voice five. Well, I was going to – I've got a brown owl on my list as well, so I'll just follow on with that. But um, so pick five for me was Cascade Stout. So I've, I've been lucky enough to go down to Tassie twice this year, once with my girlfriend and then once on a golf trip. And both times I went down, I just was grab, I just 
obviously had the Cascade, all the other Cascade beers, as you do when you're down there. And the Cascade Stout just was stood out by a mile. So, yeah. And like I said, I was once scared of brown beers. So when I had that, I was like, yeah, I'm a big fan of... Convert? All, yeah, a bit, bit of a convert now, so... Well, yeah, Cascade. I mean, that's a, that's a great brand. Kind of a bit wasted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wish they sold it in Victoria. Yeah, I mean, it, there's not many brands who can sell like fruit cordial <laughs> <laughs> and beer as well. It seems very. And I think they did have a bit of a a kick in rebranding. Kind of would have been around 2013 or something like that. But then, really, kind of fallen off the edge and. Um, but yeah, great Australian brands. Um, cool brewery as well, if you go to visit. Yeah, um, amazing story behind the brewery and amazing setting. Quite frustrating yeah. for me to see such an amazing Australian brand not fulfill its potential. Um, choice five for you. Um, I've chosen uh, Hope Brewhouse uh, Barrel Matured <laughs> Imperial Stout. It's a big beer. <laughs> it's a rich beer. It's a... Uh, a nice beer to work with and um i was lucky enough to uh brew it at uh hope brew house um working alongside uh matt hogan the brewer there and this is now available in cans is that right it is and yeah. it's a uh, 10.2 percent or something like that i think so yeah <laughs> knock your socks off yeah it's a, a big beard and it's metaled really well and it's um it's a beer to sit and sip and savor and in front of the enjoy. fire yeah 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 absolutely i i had it recently actually and um really really enjoyed it um and matt tell us a little bit about your experience at hope as well in terms of the setup there and and how has your transition been from hope to to here um i started working there in the winery and then matt hogan was employed as the uh head brewer there when they put the brew house in and um i put my hand up to help him out and um it was good enough to give me a chance and I started working in the brewery. I love the pace of it, the process, the, um, the ingredients and what a, uh, it was a great change. What an industry to be a part of. At the end of the day to sit back and have a beer that you've made with your, uh, with your mates is, is a good thing. With hope, I mean, this is a, a kind of a model that some people are fairly suspicious of. It's like you're a, you're a winery and now a brewery. Yeah. <laughs> Explain like how it, how that worked and, you know, were there any uh, pros or, or cons to that? I think it's a lot of pros. Like from, it's another brewery in a winery setting, in a wine region. Um, lots of people after tasting wine all day love to have a beer at the end of the day. And um, uh, a lot of people who are tagging along on winery tours don't like drinking wine and would love to just have a beer. So, um the more the merrier. Yeah, I think you're right about having the kind of wine setting because breweries are generally in and, d- dirty urban environments. <laughs> and you've got the well, you've got the um, tourism destination location. So you've got people who are coming up for a weekend. They're there to enjoy themselves. They're there to taste, to eat out, to drink, to have fun. So um, I think it's worked really well. It's a great setting. I think it's a really important point as well in terms of one of the reasons wine is prestigious is because of the location because you drink wine and you associate like amazing rolling hills and countryside and the vineyards yeah with wine 
but with beer that's never had that association so how do you um get you know people beer in people's hands and drink in a location like here or like in hope where it's such a a wonderful environment that their association then is that they take when they drink that beer at home that's where it takes them back to that seems to me a really positive for the whole industry i think so yeah yeah we 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 modeled this place on basically a similar to a winery so like like i said before we wanted to become a destination brewery um and offer things like obviously great beer but great wine to attract lots of people down here um and what has there been any um teething problems in terms of you know trying to get things up to speed or anything (laughs) that caught you off guard that you didn't predict yeah for sure yeah like there's been we've had to like i said we've made adjustments along the way so basically when we set up we didn't have enough tables for example um so we then had to do that kitchen wasn't prepared for the volume of people yeah so our kitchen was set up for x amount of people which we thought would be a comfortable amount but then that was greatly undersized so we've had to expand the kitchen um and then just because it's predominantly it is a high volume venue we've had to obviously change sort of uh processes and systems and stuff in terms of service but that's all part of it so I'm, I'm i'm sure every venue that opens would go through similar things so but it's been so well set up yeah it's um it's a relaxing venue to come to um you speak to people and they've they've been three or four times they keep coming back and it's just a relaxing nice venue to be in so i think that's part of what's part of this success is that people come in here and they they like it they feel good yeah and we've we've got some pretty talented people in place as well like we've obviously got matt who looks after our beer production but we've got an amazing head chef who does some some incredible food we've got some really dedicated front of house staff that do a great job servicing people um and we've got like dad my dad andrew who's the managing director he's obviously got the big plans and the big ideas but he's backed up really well by our cfo peter groves they're more like a yin and yang combo so we're pretty lucky to have a good team as well as you say you have to allow for these mistakes allow for the but it's how you respond to them yeah how how do you fix things and how do you grow and learn from them i think a really important point that you made matt about how the venue feels for the consumer it's like the the patron they they come in and it's busy but it doesn't feel yeah. like a bit because there's enough space and enough place to sit and hide away some places and you can kind of have your own nice fun time with lots of people around what's the capacity of the venue <laughs> standing uh, i'm not sure <laughs> yeah it's quite big three but, to four thousand yeah <laughs> it's, it's a lot it's yeah big. it is well like for example just the stables themselves um so we converted six standard the former stables into dining areas and they can sit up to 180 people and and then on top of that we've got a big big beer garden nice indoor restaurant which is really nicely decked out you can see when you're ordering from the bar our brew house so matt feels like he's a bit of a, a fish in a fish tank sometimes yeah. <laughs> um but that was that was a plan obviously but um and then we've got we've just recently opened up a second second overflow beer garden area um, which we open up on the weekends and in summer. So we can definitely seat quite a few people. And opening hours are relatively 
restricted, aren't they? Uh, tell us about the opening hours. and. Um, yeah, so being on a 92-acre property, um, we're actually considered a green wedge, which has brought some complexities to it. Um, so we're in town planning for over 18 months. Lots of back and forth. So, so what does that, as a green wedge, what does that mean? What, what do you have to do? <laughs> you know, what's your responsibility? Um, so that's the 50%. So basically 50% of what we sell is what we have to produce. Oh, sorry, 50% of our volume has to, in five years' times, come directly from the property. So that's why we, we uh, made the investment in the orchard and the hop farm um, and then also into the brewery as well. So um, that's that complexity of it. But it also means because we're in a rural area that we can't basically operate as a pub as it would. So our trading hours at the moment are um, 11 to 8 o'clock and they just vary season to season. So, And we also... We're also open seven days. Which is handy. <laughs> we also brew with uh, ball water, which is filtered, so all the water's off the property. Yeah. So yeah, all the all the water that we bring up goes through an RO plant, um, reverse osmosis plant, um, and it brings Matt knows more than I, but it brings it down to almost pure water. So that was a nice investment made by uh, yeah. the team. And recently installed solar panels. Yes. So, so yeah, we're, we're trying to be as sustainable as possible. Which is nice. There's over how many? Three, four hundred solar panels on the roofs here. Yeah, we got one of the biggest solar panel or solar programs on the, in Victoria. Wow. Yeah. Now that sounds like a lot of expensive kits, but Matt, here's your chance. What What do you want that you haven't got yet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do we want? He's getting a pretty nice lab soon. So. Yeah, we're getting some lab equipment soon, which is which will be an upgrade on what we've got. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Yeah, have, we, a, have a think about it. We want another cool room. Yeah. We <laughs> want some um, small, smaller tanks for cider and specialty beers. Yeah, we've sort of yeah. cobbled together a little pilot system, so I think that's on Matt's. Some um, serving tanks would be nice. And with Matt's winemaking background, I wouldn't mind a bit of a barrel program. To start up some sours. And do some sours and stuff like barrel that. Barrel matured beers. So with his oak master skills, so... <laughs> Yeah, that'd be nice. One day. That, that was good. So you went from not being sure to a long list, <laughs> <laughs> a long list of things that you really want. So, yeah, how um, long's a piece of string? Yeah. So hopefully some of the, some of your investors cross are flow filtration. Uh, yeah, <laughs> centrif. <Yeah. laughs> one day. One day. And maybe a head brewer, so you can like just supervise them. Yeah. <laughs> you can sit back, <laughs> enjoy. Um, choice six. Choice six um, is one of Matt's beers, actually, and it's the, his Heffelweizen, which we brought out last year. Um, again, I'd never, I'd been to Europe uh, in 2015 um, and tried a couple, um, but sort of had forgotten about that style. And then when Matt was like, I'm doing a Heffelweizen, I was pretty excited about it. But I think it's honestly one of the best beers he's brewed. You mentioned it before about the wheat beer and people loving it here. What do you think it was about that beer? Why the people who perhaps hadn't had a wheat beer before? It was just so sessionable. Um, and when people hadn't tried it before and then tried it and they obviously had a mouthful, it was just bursting with like banana aromas and just silky smooth. It was just delicious. Your dad loves it too. Yeah, my dad loves it as well. So 
hopefully with the canning line that we're putting in, um, it'll give us a bit more flexibility with bringing out specialty beers and cans. So that I think that's on the radar to come out as a can. And would you say how many, like percentage-wise, people who come to the venue, uh, how many are eating with the beers as well? Oh, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that changes things yeah. in terms of the enjoyment of beer. And, um, you know, I think most venues, it's it's good when people eat <laughs> for many reasons. Yeah. It's um, been about 50-50 split. Yeah. When, we, when we're doing all of our modeling at the start, we're expecting it to be sort of 70 30 beer to food but it's literally the whole time been 50 50 split right down the middle wow yeah so that, uh, that you know that might have an impact as well as in and how that, people try the beers and yeah for sure and, and that's why we've literally had to expand the kitchen a couple yeah. of times as well so and we get a lot of golfers come in there's the, the brewery surrounded by world-class golf courses and uh we get a lot of golfers come in and they're always after lunch and a beer and yeah, and Matt, like I said earlier, he does some awesome food. So if you yeah. like your burgers, your pizzas and all those yummy beer beer foods. Beer the Matt the the chef. Matt the is. chef, I yeah. should say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and cuz your dad was golf designing golf courses, yep. putting holes in fields. He was. It, it's it's harder than it sounds, I think. But um that is, and he had a, a brewery in France, is that right? Craft brewery? Yeah, yeah. So um, my dad, he, Andrew, he had a quite a successful golf course construction company, um, which he sold in 2015. So he was only 50 years old. So he, he classified himself as semi-retired and then did, did his thing overseas for a couple of months and then stumbled upon a little um, venue in France. Um, and dipped his toe in the water in the craft beer scene over there. Um, beautiful venue right on the beach where they host one of the surfing contests. Um, and then, yeah, he just loved it. He loved the brewing side of things. He loved the hospitality side of things and really wanted to bring it back to Australia. Um, and we, so my family, we grew up five minutes away in St. Andrews Beach. And funnily enough, my dad built the, racetrack here on site for the Friedman brothers and then um, when the property came up for sale him and Michael jumped at it to turn it into the brewery wow that's a, a really nice kind of circular yeah. journey isn't it yeah yeah it was quite cool I remember coming here when I was like six when he was building the golf course I mean sorry not the golf course the racetrack and then when I finished uni it was literally when he started the brewery so it was a pretty full circle I suppose that's brilliant. Like, I much prefer it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Andrew, if you're listening, you, you should come on the podcast as well, maybe yeah. one day in the future, because that, that's a really interesting story as well. Yeah, no, he's um, definitely a big thinker. So, And, Tim, what strikes me about all your beers is they're all modern. Tell us why. Uh, well, like I, like I said before, um, I'm still relatively new to the whole beer industry, so... When I finished uni, it literally was when Dad was starting the brewery. So um, it's only been two years since I've really been drinking craft beer. And yeah, I've just gravitated to those sort of styles. So I think it's brilliant listening to your beers because uh, because you're new to the scene, uh, new to craft beer, and you're mentioning beers of some of the previous guests on the show who made them. You know? Oh, so, okay, cool. 
like that's really exciting that you know beers that are being made within the last two or three years are having a massive impact already oh for sure and um matt that must excite you as well that the beers that you make you know can have such a, a massive impact it's a it's a good feeling yeah it, it's it's a bit scary as well isn't it when you put something in you do you ever get upset when people <laughs> turn the nose off or no don't I, like it? I think everyone has their right to their opinion on beers and australians are very opinionated about beer that's for, um and that's good people like what they like and they tell you if they don't like it and that's fine it's beer's yeah. so subjective anyway like i actually think of beer it's like because i play quite a bit of golf myself beer's like almost like a golf course like if you have a bad experience when you play golf you're not going to like that golf course if you don't have a good experience with that beer you're not going to like that yeah. beer so yeah that's true that's true yeah, yeah. um choice six Final beer, Matt. Uh, final beer I've chosen, um, the St Andrews Beach Brewery Lager. Um, from a, I've just chosen it from a, a brewer's point of view. It's a um, simple list of ingredients that makes a really beautiful beer. Um, it's um, a salute to Dermot. Yep. He, he made a nice beer. Yeah, it's a good lager. People love drinking it here and it's um, by volume-wise, it's our biggest beer. Um, terms of batch variation we make good ones and we make great ones um so there's um but it's a it's a tricky beer to make for what you'd think would be a really simple beer but it's um when you get it right it's a it's a really enjoyable beer and what do you think is the most um the thing that affects the quality of the beer the most in the process um good base malt it's great uh good base malt good um Good fermentation management for the for the lager is our is our the, the best thing, and um, soft bitterness. You know, it's, it's a and, good. and and just to Matt's point before, like we get a lot of obviously mainstream drinkers come in, um, who just like their Carlton Draft and their VBs and what have you, and when they try the lager, they love it. So if we're sort of changing people's perception on beers, then that's a good thing, I suppose. Yeah, it's even if it is a lager. Yeah, don't don't speak badly of lager. No, not at all. My, <laughs> it's, it's like, I think it's one of the things that a lot of people in the craft beer community that they badmouth lager, and I think we need to grow up. Yeah, <laughs> we well, actually need to. It, 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 the reason I think we don't really like it is because, or, or averse to it, is because we grew up on mainstream lagers that have a, a strange taste when we go back to them. But a really well-made lager, fresh, is a delight. <laughs> There's subtlety, subtleties. and Well, my favourite yeah. beer of ours is our Pilsner, which is obviously a European lager. Because you can obviously have a quite a one or two IPAs, but if you just want a super like smashable cleansing beer, that's your go-to. So Yeah, and if you know, you're choosing a dish off the menu, which is complicated in its flavour and taste and profile, well... You, you might not want a really tasty beer to go with it. You might want a clean, fresh, exactly. really cleansing beer. That makes sense. Um, so keep making great one. And, yeah. you know, that's a, it's an amazing gateway as well for people to see value in drinking local, drinking craft, drinking fresh, as opposed to drinking what they always ever have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, keep keep on with it's that been one. one of the key the key beers for making the venue so successful so 
if we're brewing lots of lager, we're brewing lots of everything else. So yeah. that's yeah, it's good. That's a good thing. Amazing. Um, now, snack and a receptacle to drink these beers out of. Uh, so my, whenever I'm drinking beers, I like to have something um, spicy. So maybe some buffalo wings. Um, that's my go-to snack when I'm having a few beers. How about yourself, Matt? Uh, I think I like drinking out of a wine glass a double IPA. Just sipping it and enjoying it over a few pours. Excellent. One, any particular type of wine glass? Just a standard. It is It is fun when you're at the beer awards and you're drinking out of the big wine glasses, these crazy beers. <laughs> so I do agree with that, actually. And um, your receptacle, Tim? The St. Andrew's Beach glass. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are business development yeah, manager. No, no, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty easy. As long as the beer is cold, I'm, I'm fine. It's a, just let's describe this, the, the St. Andrew's Beach glass pretty attractive it, it is actually so we um we struck up a partnership with rastel um a german glass manufacturer um and so similar to the asahi glasses they're frosted um with a nice st andrews beach logo on them um and we serve them in different sizes to normal places or bars um so our pots are 300 mil so slightly above and then we do our pints, they're 500 mil, so slightly below. So, yeah. And it's got a really nice, thick bit of glass at the bottom. Yes. Which is it's really attractive. Um, <laughs> they, 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 the beers present really well in the, the sab glasses. And they get they really get, good cling and foam stability in the glasses. Which and are, they get they photographed really massively. Well. So, the frosted nature of them gives it a real nice texture, which yep. isn't slippery. It's like really kind of nice. Anyway, getting a bit too uh, excited about this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll quickly move on. Uh, your snack, Matt? I think sitting down with a double IPA and just a few uh, nice cheeses is the way to go. A good snack to have with any uh, strong double IPA. <laughs> and um, where can we find you online? And, and can you tell us about, we, we know when the venue's open and things, but where can we find you and... Um, keep up with what's happening at St. Andrews. Yeah, so we're, um, so if anyone's down on the Mornings Peninsula, we're in Fingal. Um, and then if you're trying to find us online, um, it's just standandrewsbeachbrewery.com.au. Um, and then for Facebook and Instagram, um, it's at sab.brewery. So nice and simple. And you run those, so if anyone wants to give you a hard time, they can message you directly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can have you can have a crack at me. That's all good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much for talking to us through six beers that changed everything. It's been a, a real pleasure, and, and I'm really looking forward to exploring the venue a bit more because it's <laughs> it's cavernous. It's got loads of different places where we can go. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for being on. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for coming down. Awesome. So that was it, Tim and Matt from St. Andrew's Beach Brewery. I had such a great time when I went down to visit them at the brewery and it's such a nice area, not very far away from Melbourne either. They've kind of got a bit of an embarrassment of riches from kind of having no breweries. They've got heaps of breweries within that pocket 
if you go as far north as Seaford and Mr. Banks or um, Dainton in Caram Downs. And then, and then as you move further south, you've got Jetty Road and Mornington and Red Hill. And I'm going to miss some others out more than likely, uh, just doing those off the top of my head. So I even believe there's a bus that operates down there. Someone set up a business just to service the breweries pure and simple there's that much demand for people to be ferried around so really exciting times and given that um st andrew's beach brewery has so much space to grow and i'm guessing a significant financial backing they could become a major player in the future of victorian beer i mean that's a fairly bold claim i think but they do have all the ingredients there and when you think well the rural thing might be a bit of a drawback you look at bridge road that kind of dispels that myth so it's going to be a really fascinating development over the next few years and particularly when the orchard of eight thousand trees comes to fruition they start making sours maybe get a barrel program it's really fascinating and as we talked in the episode i think that there'll be certainly a lot of epiphanies happening in that venue with people who arrive there who have not really been exposed to good and interesting beers. So lots of fun times ahead for St Andrew's Beach Brewery and thanks so much for Tim and Matt for being so hospitable and showing me around and spending time uh, with me on a Saturday afternoon. As I said up the top of the episode, I do have that live episode that's going to happen. It's going to be in and around Melbourne, so lock in the date and I'll send you the details and the events as soon as it comes out if you're on the mailing list. So just log on to thechosenbrewau.com which is in the show notes if you want to click on the direct link and leave your email address. You will be the priority. You You will be the chosen few for the chosen brew. So always like to give a shout out as well to my other podcast which I make with my good friend Matt Lavery which is called The Wheel of Sport, and it's a kind of sporting history podcast, but it's more about human sport, human stories than it is sport. But we most recently, at the time of recording, uh, we've had an episode out about the iconic 1989 VFL Grand Final, which was great fun to make, and we just delve into some really fascinating stories from the sporting world. The episodes are only about 30 minutes long, so... You'll either be entertained or informed, hopefully both, but we can't make any guarantees. Uh, But that's in the show notes as well. So if you want to click on the link, you'll go through to the main page for the Wheel of Sport and then you can uh, subscribe if you'd like to or just play any episodes direct from that page as well. Thanks to Pete Mitchum as well from Brews News. I was listening to an episode of theirs and they gave me a shout out, which is very nice that uh, I certainly have been a long time listener of Radio Brews News and love what Pete and Matt do there. And it was nice to be riding my bike into work and listening to Pete quote the episode with Scott from Bolter, the head brewer there at Bolter, talking about Pilsner and if you've been keeping up with the news, Balta have got rid of their Pilsner. They've replaced it with a lager with a similar can design, colour and so on. But that's a kind of interesting development and probably pertinent as well to this episode where a brewery who's starting off has not only a Pilsner, but also has uh, what they're calling an Australian lager as well. So 
really interesting strategy for a brewery as successful as Balta and interesting for the development of someone like St. Andrew's Beach Brewery coming into the market. And I think it's really fun that we're getting to a point where we're, as an industry, kind of getting big enough where we can uh, cross-pollinate and, and share each other's stories as well across different podcasts as well. Um, and a shout out to all the other quality beer podcasts being made in Australia. It's so good to see so many other people as passionate about a subject. And also, I know how hard it is to make a podcast and get yourself organized and do all the editing and get it out. And um, and if you're thinking about doing a podcast about beer, just do it. Just do it. Writing articles, whatever it is, just do it. Get on board. The more, the merrier. On that note, a quick shout out to the launch of the Froth Magazine podcast as well. Um, I was a bit shocked to listen to the first episode of that and uh, Emily Day, creator and editor of Froth Magazine, previous guest. And I was going to say friend of the show until she marked my podcast out as being their arch nemesis. So (laughs) I I... I don't really, I've never been a nemesis, I don't think, um, consciously. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to behave in that respect. So if anyone's got any advice on on how you be a kind of a passive nemesis, uh, that would be much appreciated. Uh, and Emily, if you're listening, um, I'm, I'm seeking advice to how to deal with this. So uh, you might need to give me a bit more time before it becomes a well-rounded feud. Well, that's enough rambling from me. As always, please leave a review and all the nice things. Um, Send me a message as well. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, The Wheel of Sport, Facebook page, and reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts are much, much appreciated. And share it with your friends. That's uh, probably the most effective way is word of mouth. And I look forward to speaking with you next time for another great beer journey. Thanks for listening to The Chosen Group.